Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to episode 11 of the Box in One podcast, where we discuss Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. This week, we want to hit on a couple of topics, and we really just want to dive right in and start to talk about NBA free agency. The NBA season's over. The Cavs are the NBA champions. J.R. Smith walks around with his shirt off everywhere he goes. But we do have some stuff happening this summer that we really want to get into, and we want to start with Kevin Durant. To some people, he's a traitor because he signed with the Golden State Warriors, a two-year deal worth how much money? I think it was, I want to say 54, 54 we, million. We're going to go 50 plus million dollars. This is a two-year deal with the one-year player option, which means he can opt out after this year if he doesn't like the way Steph Curry plays. And... <laughs> KD is officially a warrior. And we just found out last night that D Wade is taking his talents back home. He's following in LeBron's footsteps and headed back to Chicago on a two year, 50 plus million dollar deal. Now, the question becomes did KD and D Wade, who might be the best players in the city that they're living in for the sport of basketball ever. Did they make the right choice? What do you guys think? Uh, I'll start with D Wade first. Um, I honestly think D Wade made the choice that he was left with. Uh, I don't think he wanted to leave Miami per se. Um, but I also think Pat Riley is shrewd enough to be like, you're not getting the Kobe contract for the sake of our team and our organization. Um, been nice. You've been hurt a lot. If you leave, you leave. If you come back, great. Uh, it's no skin off my back. So, um, and I think if there was any place Dwayne was going to go, it was back home. Like I never really thought he would go to Milwaukee or Denver. Like there's, those don't seem like places Gabrielle Union would be cool with. Chicago, I think she can work with. Um, so, you know, I think it was in a, it, it was a business decision for him. So he rolled out. I get it. You know, he's getting the money he wants. I understand. I ain't mad at him. He's 34, 35 years old. Get it while you can. KD on the other hand, I, you guys know my thoughts on it. I think it was deeper than basketball. I think it had some spiritual connotations and undertones to it. Uh, but also think, who doesn't want to go play with a bunch of guys that just pass the ball and shoot threes and just play loose and fun. And, you know, it's, it's like playing at the Goodman league for KD. So I think it was a good move basketball wise. We'll see if it turns out to be the best move for the organization and for KD business wise next year, because I think they've already said that the cap floor is not going to be as high as they thought it was going to be. So we'll see. I'm, I'm excited to see KD and Golden State and how it works out. For me, I'll start with KD. And um, let me start by saying love Steph, love KD. Um, for me, watching Durant and Westbrook officially split up is like when you watch an engaged couple, you like both members of the couple, and you was just sad that they couldn't work it out, man. Like, I really <laughs> felt sad. Um, and then... Uh, like, I do think there's something like I'm not knocking his decision. It's his decision to make. I'm not mad at him. I'm not out here burning KD jerseys or nothing like that. But um, like part of me did just like seeing him as the entity. John, you mentioned, I don't think there's any debate that Wade and um, Durant are the two most important players in their franchise's history. And so to watch him walk away, man, that just... Um, that's hard. Like, I'll miss him in Oklahoma City. And I like Golden State. I love the way they play basketball. But something about it, like, I'm just not excited as I thought I'd be. Sometimes, like, the movement in the NBA makes you feel excited. In both of these cases, with Wade and with Durant, both of them just kind of made me sad. I'm not 
disappointed. I'm glad they're getting their money. I'm glad they're putting themselves in a position to do what they want to do. But just from a fan standpoint, both decisions just made me kind of feel sad. Now, can I just say to you that every person in the city of Seattle just looked at you sideways because <laughs> Gary Payton and Sean Kemp both have arguments for being the most important player in the history of said franchise, which Gary Payton, Gary Payton does. So OKC used to be the, the Sonics. That's what so I'm saying. So I, Gary Payton does like Sean Kemp does not. You're trying to say Rain Man didn't have anything to do with the success in Seattle over those years? I'm trying to say, are you trying to tell me if you got to rank like Gary Payton, Kevin Durant, and Sean Kemp on a list one, two, three, there's ever a list where Sean Kemp ain't three on every list? Ooh, under KD, huh? Yeah, KD made it. He's, he was MVP. Um, but Sean Kemp played a little bit longer. I'm just saying. I'm just saying Gary Bruh, Payton might actually be the most... Gary Payton, okay, I'll just at least say this, okay? Gary Payton may be the most important player in that franchise's history at this point in time. Yeah, Ray Allen played there. I mean, like, it's great players there. But what I'm saying, like, positionally, like, I'm talking about Durant in Oklahoma and what he meant to that community and what Wade meant to that community. So when I'm looking at the franchise, you bring up a great point that, like, this wasn't, like, a startup franchise, they actually moved. But I'm just talking about what Durant meant. He was in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame and not for basketball, like the real person Hall of Fame. Like that's pretty deep. That's when you're making a significant impact. No, so I hard for me to watch him leave. I completely agree with that. I mean, what else is in Oklahoma? Sorry for the Oklahoma listeners and all one of you. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> my reflections on KD and D Wade. Okay, so KD made the choice that made sense for him. I think that he couldn't wait to get out of OKC because of Russell Westbrook. I've talked about this before, and most people saw some sort of tension between them, even though they didn't want to admit it. Um, It just seemed like an odd pairing. And the first opportunity that he got, he said that he's going to find another place to play, and it just happened to be Golden State. I don't know why people are hating on a player who wants to go play with another team. It's his choice. And Stephen A. Smith, I don't know what's wrong with that man. Like, it seems like everything that comes out of his mouth, I just don't like what he says. So the fact that he (laughs) said that this was like one of the worst things that could ever happen for a superstar and he just hated that KD went and chased chase the ring like that i'm just like let that man live like literally let that man live he wants to go play in golden state um let him go play in golden state and let's see where the chips fall speaking of chips falling d wade got them checks this dude is making 26 million dollars over the next year and 26 million next year at the tail end of his career, getting that Kobe money to come home to Chicago. And your boy Rondo talking about their their three alpha males, him, Jimmy, and Rondo. I'm like, that basically says that Rondo feels like there may be some tension, but he's trying to like downplay it a little bit. I don't think Rondo is seeing them as the new big three. He and came off the Kings. I know he did, but I'm just saying he's Rondo. Rondo's yeah, always think, been a bad teammate and a problem player. Yeah, I think Rondo feels like wait, I'm one of the best players in the league too. So like, this is just as much my team as it is the rest of y'all's. Womp womp. He should have said, "I'm a. No. I'm not even the alpha. I'm like a Zulu dog. Like, <laughs> you're the last person on that team that I want talking about your alpha dog. You should just Listen. came in humbly and said, "I'm going to be a support role." Jimmy, this is Jimmy's team. He did say that, but the fact that he said there are three alpha dogs, watch out what happens next year with Rondo. Just watch. What? What? I mean, are they built like? Can they coexist in the backcourt? Like one, two, three. Rondo, Wade, and Butler. You know, Rondo led the league in assists last year. He's a beast, and he's yeah. good on defense, and he's got long arms. Like yeah. he can play. He can't shoot. 
I'm not. They can coexist in terms of basketball. It's just the attitude. His attitude kills me. Like, dude, you came out of Kentucky as a nobody, and then you like blew up. So you need to get back to that that humility. That's like, okay, I'm coming to the Bulls. This isn't my team. Let me see what happens. So I'm 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 really interested in seeing what happens there. Jay Rich, Jay, let me throw something at y'all real fast. So say you at the playground and you at your community and you know who the best five players are, right? And then like the one dude, like you make the two best players captains, but the one dude who's one of the two best dudes keep on demanding that he play with the other best dude so they don't never lose. Is y'all cool with that? I get that every week. I told you you I'm a rec league all-star, right? So there's there's one team in the gym that comes all come together. And they're like they play college ball together. I like playing that team. I like letting people like that play with each other. Because when I beat them, it makes me feel all 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 the more better. Like I feel good about beating them because they, they came in like wanting to be a super team. So put your little squad together. Rec, <laughs> Rec League All Star is gonna come out there and do something. Yeah. But I'm saying you don't never feel some type of way that like what is they trying to do for Voltron out here? Not at all. I, I've seen people try to stack pickup teams all my life, and I'm just Jay like, Hart. all right, let me play some ball. Jay Hart, you, yeah, down at the Civics. So me and me and Jay Hart played college basketball together. Right outside the courts was the outdoor courts called the Civics. Jay Hart, have you seen somebody stacking the squad at Civics? You're not feeling some type of way? Yeah, but, you know, I can't really say but so much because I always play with Al. So, <laughs> and Al was, the, Al was the greatest at making sure his team was stacked. So, it was like two stacked teams going against each other. Um, like, I get it. Uh, and I remember, you know, being fresh out of college and going over to playgrounds in PG County and Mo County. And, like, if you didn't stack your team, you, if you lost, you might as well go on home, like, because you was going to sit for a while. Um, so I get it. Like, and the purpose of the point, I mean, the point of the game is to win. Um, you want as many chips stacked in your favor as possible. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Like, don't nobody really like to lose. Like, I don't want to go to the park or go anywhere and be like, oh, let me pick up four bombs so I can lose. Like nobody really wants to do that, but but if you really it's want different, I guess when you're looking name. at it in pro terms. But don't if you want some respect on your name, you got to win with no asterisks. Like you get, you got to win with the yeah, but you had to leave. Yeah, but you had to play with another MVP. Yeah, you had to win. I'm just saying, like I'm just asking the questions. None of that. Okay. Like, just said, no, that flat. But look, LeBron left. He went with Wade and Bosh. Charles Barkley, he rolled out. He ended up in Phoenix with Kevin Johnson. Then he ended up in Houston. Like, everybody has, like, I think we're fooling ourselves. Like, if we don't look throughout history, like, Magic Johnson played with two Hall of Famers. Larry Bird played with two Hall of Famers. Like, I think you kind of got to stack the odds in your favor because there's so much luck involved in winning, especially when it's a seven-game series. Um, Like, I think you kind of have to stack the odds in your favor. Like, Jordan had two Hall of Famers on his team. So, so one thing we learned tonight, Jay uh, Hart uh, likes to stack his squads and to be unfair. We appreciate that, man. We thank you for your honesty. Um, <laughs> we're going to start calling you Mr. Asterisk. Hey, you can call me what you want. Including but when I step out on the floor, I'm going to get respect because when I pull up from 30. <laughs> it's your second nickname. We went from mixed, cho- mixed chocolate to Mr. Asterisk. <laughs> hey man, hey, let's really talk about this money though. Like this money these players are getting. They don't listen. The salary cap went up and these teams just went ballistic. Like who do you think got the worst contract in this particular free agency period? Just name one player. If you had one player to name that got the worst contract, who would it be? They ain't had to give Mike Conley that much money, bro. They ain't have to make him the highest play player of all time with no all-star appearances. Look, but look like you got to define. You got to define what is the worst contract, like worst in terms of business-wise, or worst in terms of 
somebody got shorted that they might have been worth more, like or just the worst. Like you're like, oh, tell me one player. Contract. Tell me one player during this period who got shorted. Like <laughs> you're not gonna have one player that's like, hey man, I got shorted thirty million dollars. <laughs> Dude. I think it's any contract that makes you say, what in the name of Gilbert Arenas? <laughs> if, if, it, if you say that, then that something's wrong with it. Listen, I try to tell everybody when Mike Conley and Greg Oden went pro that Mike Conley was going to be the better pro. I like Mike Conley. There is not a world that exists where he should ever be the best, highest played basketball player in the world. Like, that makes no sense. Like, that just, like, that's not right. That's just crazy. Like when I read that, I was like, "Highest paid? You talking about ever?" And he hasn't made. Okay, he's in the West. Not gonna make an All Star team with the Western guards out there. But Mike Conley, he's a great basketball player. But when I think highest paid basketball player ever, I don't think about Mike Conley. Not gonna Dude, happen. He ain't even. He ain't even the best of the snubs. Not at all. Not at all. Hey, Lillard got that under wraps. Dame. <laughs> Good old Dame. If you ain't even the best of the all-star snubs, you can't be the highest played basketball player in the world. You just Man, can't be. This salary cap is ridiculous. Jay Hart, who you got? One player. Um, I got a tie, though. I got a tie because the first one I'm going to go with is Timothy Mozgov. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> the second one right behind it. It's Matthew Delavadova, man. Like I can't believe Milwaukee's like this dude worth like eight, nine million dollars a year. Like I just can't, I can't fathom that. They bringing I, winning culture from where? <laughs> the bench. <laughs> <laughs> the Delavadova didn't even see the floor this year, man. And the Bucks were like, give him some checks. LeBron, even LeBron, though he got over, he tweeted like Delhi got that money. <laughs> he wasn't even <laughs> mad at him for getting that money. He said, "I'm happy for you and your family." Because you know his team got zero percent worse with his absence. Exactly. It was like we didn't lose anybody. <laughs> so you know who my guy is? Here's my guy. Okay, Tyler Johnson of the Miami Heat. Who? Exactly. Exactly. This dude got $50 million. He got a $50 million offer sheet from the Nets that he can make $18, 19000000 million in his fourth or fifth year. Who is Tyler Johnson? Um, he can hoop. He can hoop, man. Okay, he can hoop. I'm not giving Tyler Johnson $50 million. Sorry. After. Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. My biggest question with Tyler Johnson is, is like, is that dude white or is he mixed? Is there some black in there somewhere? <laughs> he, he has to be other, man. He has to be. Like when I saw that, though, I was like, there's no way Miami matches this. And if I'm if I'm white side. Yeah. He got to be heated. This dude got to be mad right now. Max He's offer. Now you're the face of the franchise. You got a lot of pressure on you, sir. That's crazy. They played him. Big time. Big time. All right. So quickly, we're going to talk about what your team did. Okay. We know you. We know you're a Lakers fan, Jay Hart. See, last, I don't know what you are. So we're going to start with. Okay. Jay Hart. What do you feel about what your Jay team Hart did? has now left the conversation? <laughs> wow. Did he just I message us left the conversation? <laughs> yes. That's great. No, oh, we gotta talk man. about those Lakers, man. Come on. I'm giving you your opportunity. I don't even know what to say, man. Like, like I think the Luol Dang signing was good because I think you needed a veteran presence in that locker room with all those young kids. But then Timothy Mozgov, like the key and pill player, like I, I just when he's healthy, like he's serviceable, but like for $72 million, he's not that serviceable. And then on top of it, not only do we trade for Jose Calderon, then we turn around and re-sign Huertas too 
and I just can't. My head hurts, man. I can't. I can't do this anymore. He's like I think headache. I made. I, like I may need to find a new team. Like the Hold only on. thing I'm happy about right now is Brandon Ingram. I got some hope for you, Jay. You ready for this hope? Look. <laughs> okay. I look at I look at Russell Wilson. I mean Russell Westbrook's wardrobe, right? Anybody who can pay attention, he's saying like I'm going to a major market. Like that is what the whole wardrobe thing is about. Like I am standing out here in Oklahoma City because I'm out. So every time like the Joe trying to figure out what is he wearing, he's trying to tell you he's going back to LA to the fashion capital. I'm telling you, Durant took one look at his playoff wardrobe and said, I'm out. Like he didn't even have to have a conversation with him. He just looked at his clothes and put two and two together. He's going his, to the fashion capital. His wardrobe says Utah. <laughs> his wardrobe like, is terrible. Character. It's terrible. Yo. I don't know what you're talking about, man. So yeah. apparently Jay Hart is not too happy about his team. Okay. About what they Westbrook. They're gonna get Westbrook. But he needs yeah, but, some hope this year, man. You're giving him hope in the future. You're giving him Jay that Rich. second coming of Jesus hope. He Jay needs Rich. hope right now. <laughs> Jay Rich, we can we can talk about your eschatology in a minute, but listen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he can't listen. He's, he's I'm hoping for the rapture right now. Jay Rich. <laughs> Put your general manager hat on. If you don't sign, if you don't restructure and re-sign Westbrook to a long-term deal before the season start, how are you not trading that man? You cannot lose Harden and then lose Durant, then lose Westbrook and only have Oladipo to show for it. They, they all trade him. I think they will. Um, they, right. they almost they have to. And you think they're going to trade them to a contender in the West. I think they trade them to the Lakers because they can get young talent back. Yeah, but then that puts the Lakers even further behind. If I'm exactly. LA, like I don't give up my pieces because even if they trade him, like he's still on a one year deal. Like he's still going to be a free agent, so I might be able to get him without giving up everybody else. But That's what I, I'm saying. Like, like if you coming at me talking about I need to give up Russell Ingram and Randall to get Westbrook, well, that's the whole team right there. So. I don't know, Just man. I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting my eggs in the, in the Westbrook basket. I'd like to see it, but I'm There's not putting no my way. eggs you there. Can't, you can't not. You have to. You have to move him. You cannot have nothing to show for him at the end of this year. So you got to move him before he gets hurt. But I'm, I'm with Jay Hart, though. Like I bank on the fact that after this one year, this this contract expires, he's gonna he'll come to the Lakers on a long term deal without me giving up the pieces that I have. So, hey, you can go to Dallas or you can go to Charlotte. You can go somewhere random, but we'll court you next summer. Like, I don't have to give up a Randall or Ingram or a Russell to get but you. But here's why you do. Because if you trade for his contract, then you get the ability to pay him the most. So that's going to be huge. Like, you got the, you get the biggest bargaining chip. That's why people traded for Howard in the last year of his contract because they knew they could offer him the most. And that's why everybody was shocked when he left the Lakers with $40 million on the table just to get away from Kobe. I get it. I just, I would still sell him. <laughs> I would still sell him on culture. Like uh, Lakers have traditionally been a great franchise. I think Russell wants to come back to LA. Remember he's a UCLA guy. So like you sell him on all of that. He'll sign a four year deal. He doesn't have to have like that five year deal with the team that he's going to be traded to like i'm hoping he goes to a, a horrible team so he can go to the lakers i want the lakers to be good i i hate seeing lakers fan like like this like jr is depressed <laughs> like, i have to check on my brother in the fall but oh, yeah. i do i'm in basketball purgatory right now <laughs> read the book of lamentations it'll help i really do need to talk about my squad though right quick okay <laughs> because i am not lamenting okay I have joy. I have joy in my heart because not only did we re-sign Manu Ginobili, yes, win, we also got the free agent that we coveted years ago in Pau Gasol, who I think fits well in Spurs culture. Yes, we yeah. went after KD, but we didn't really do a full court press. 
we were like, hey, this is who we are. If you want to come join us, we're good. We really wanted Powell a couple of years ago. And now that we have him in San Antonio, I'm excited. Yes, he doesn't play any defense, but we have the best defensive player on the planet. Okay? The Bulls didn't have that. I think Powell's going to bring that offensive game that we were lacking in the playoffs that will be very helpful for us. Now, the only question is, is my boy TD retiring? And I'll be sad to see him go, but I'm really happy with where we are right now. And we will be a playoff finals contender next year. So with the moves my team made, I'm excited. I'm happy. And now we get to find out who Celas's team actually is. Bet. All right. <laughs> so listen, this is how I pick my teams. I've tried to tell you this, Jay Rich. I'm from VA. We don't have professional sports teams. So we go with our rooting interests in terms of relationships. So because Dell Curry is from our area, we cheer for Dell's son. So the player I was most interested about in free agency was Seth Curry. And since he signed with the Mavs, I like the Mavs. And what do you think about the Mavs? Like, are they going to be uh, contenders this year? Could care less. I just want I just want Seth to shine there. Oh, you're the worst. Jay Hart has left the conversation <laughs> again. I'm That's about to leave too. You're going to be over here podcasting by yourself. Cause that makes absolutely no sense to me, man. Jay Rich, this is going to be the C last podcast. That's crazy, man. Listen, listen, yo. You trying to tell me if one of your boys from the Wick made it to the league, like you ain't just going to cheer for that dude? He did. Somebody he did. from Brunswick did make it to the league. I wasn't he was the one pick. <laughs> I wasn't cheering for the Lakers when he was on that team. I wasn't. I wasn't cheering for the Wizards when he was on that team. Both of them had egotistical maniacs on their team, a la Jordan, Kobe. I'm not cheering for those teams. Sorry, I'll check the box score. Hey, hey listen. Good, hey, good job, buddy. Why didn't you get hey, a DMP tonight, buddy? What's going on, buddy? <laughs> but guess what? <laughs> I'm not cheering for the team just because the homie is from the hometown. Sorry. Jay Rich, Jay Rich, check this out, yo. So when I was at Shenandoah, I played with this kid named Phil Dixon. His little brother was Juan Dixon, and he got drafted to them same Wizards. Guess what team I became a fan of? Those Wizards. So I always pick my NBA teams with the player I got the closest relationship with because I don't have a home team. Like, I'm from VA. There is no home team to choose. Oh, uh, that's just a horrible strategy. I mean, I appreciate you for follow, for following players and stories. And Juan Dixon had a great story. Uh, he's a great guy. But that means you're you're switching teams every year. You know what that that's called in nomenclature? Bandwagon. No, you know why? Most of my <laughs> no, you know why I don't mean that? Why? Because my squads ain't front runners. So they always in the bottom of the pack. Like people never get mad at me for that. They just shrug their shoulders because usually them teams don't factor. Like it was the Wizards. They well, like but Chris, games. Chris, you Yo, never had a favorite team growing up. My high school like, basketball there was team. Bye, Chris. I come <laughs> man, he's on some other stuff tonight, right. man. I don't know what's going on. Jay Rich. Yes, sir. When I was growing up. My high school basketball team from a town of 23,000 people was ranked 12th in the nation. They had an All-American who was the shooting guard at North Carolina after Jordan. Like, it wasn't just like the high school basketball team. It was like, if you didn't get to the games by 5 o'clock, you didn't get in. Like, tiny Stanton, Virginia, 12th in the USA Today poll, 1985. You look it up. I'm trying to tell you. McDonald's All-Americans on the squad. Like, Everybody in our high school was just enraptured. Like our whole community did nothing but follow that basketball team. Chris so that's Lassiter, what I grew up with. Chris Lasseter is that dude who like, who <laughs> like dude. roll who like rolls with the Harlem Globetrotters. I like them. <laughs> <laughs> they beat the teams by seventy and eighty. That's okay, man. We, we see where, oh, we, we see where you are. It's all good. Chris Chris, I'm gonna have to rethink our friendship here. <laughs> it's all good, fam. <laughs> So um, we we really want to switch gears because we know that this week has been a tough week culturally, um, just as a community, just as a nation. 
um, it's just been rough. And we've experienced it in social media. Uh, we've experienced in our homes, just reflecting on that experience on our jobs and just hearing the feedback on what has happened this week. We had to, we absolutely had to address this and talk about it. So just this week, one African-American male in Louisiana, whose name is Alton Sterling, um, was handcuffed. And while he was handcuffed by police officers, he was shot to death. Um, and it was all recorded on a cell phone video. And the nation was able to see what amounted to a unarmed man. Um, well, well, we'll get to that. Um, who was shot while he was handcuffed by officers of the law. And just as we were processing that, thinking through that as a community, within the next 24 hours or so, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a young man by the name of Philando Castillo um, was also shot. Different circumstances. He's sitting in the car with his girlfriend and his daughter in the back seat, and he's pulled over for a broken headlight, tail light. And the officer asked him for identification. His girlfriend said that he was informing the officer that he was a concealed carry permit. He had a concealed carry permit and that he was reaching for his license. So the officer perceived to have thought that he was reaching for something else and shot him five times. His girlfriend actually took out her phone at that point and started to record via Facebook Live. A lot of stuff happened after that. She was taken into custody. Her phone was taken from her. And the next day she had a press conference that was just heart wrenching to hear her story, to hear from her daughter um, and just to know um, that this happened in such a short time frame after what happened in Louisiana. So having those conversations have been tough this week. But we also just want to address this from a standpoint of what it looks like for the Christian community to reflect on this. And historically, um, as African-Americans, we've had to deal with civil rights issues in the civil rights era. So the question for us is, you know, is the church today handling issues of racial strife better than in ways that the civil rights era did, and how is the church kind of processing these two events um, to move towards some type of reconciling work? So I just wanted to get you guys' reflections on this because we really have to have to address this tonight. So just um, a couple of different thoughts, man. Like, I don't even know, like, for you guys, like, we get a chance to talk basketball, and as soon as like um as soon as I knew we were switching gears, like man, I could just feel like a heaviness kind of come over me, even thinking about like how to process this stuff. So um like from the good, like I would say, um Jerry Rich, I go to a, a PCA church. Um I'm like the only Oreo in the cup of milk. Um and my pastor just reached out to me and my wife. And um, kind of just wanted to listen, you know, um, just wanted to ask how we were processing things. And like, that's huge. That's helpful. Um, <clears throat> I, I, my wife sent me something from D.A. Horton um, that was just amazingly, it was balanced. It had the gospel in it. It was grace filled. It was calling people past just outrage on social media into doing things in real life and i thought it was great um those were the good things man um the tough things were um <clears throat> just watching people always just ready to justify um the police actions no matter what um and just not willing to be able to sympathize with the black community, no matter what. Um, just always like having an excuse 
why the black people were wrong, no matter what. And that's starting to feel a little bit exhausting, like to the point where, hey, like maybe I just want to fall back and stop having conversations and just find the other people who are grieving and grieve with them. And, um, <clears throat> but just trying not to lose hope. But, um, man, I don't know why, but just the back to back ones felt a lot heavier. And there was more of a feeling like, yeah, this really could happen to me. Um, so that's kind of how I've been processing it. You know, it's been, for me, it's been heavy, like heavy on my heart. Um, just because, you know, I have my 12 year old son is at the point now too, where he's, you know, seeing some of this stuff and trying to have those conversations with him about why this is happening. And, um, you know, when he looks at, you know, his grandfather or he looks at, you know, his grandmother and he's like, well, you know, I have grandparents that are black, you know, my parents are mixed. Like, is this a possibility for our family? And it's just like, you know, my father-in-law, who's a um, wonderful man, very, like, I swear to you, I feel like he got a bat phone line to the Lord. And he and I were having a conversation um, just about the racial issues because we were talking about some of the situations that I deal with, um, with particular students in education. And uh, his comment to me was that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And normally when he says those type of things, it's like, I feel like he's always had some kind of either dream or vision or the Lord has spoken directly to him about those things. And he's very, um, very aware of those things and what's going on. Um, and he was just very adamant about making sure that, you know, we pray for the black community and for folks in the community. And um, I, it's just, I don't even know, man, like, my biggest thing is regardless of what somebody's done in the past, and we've talked about this before, like that doesn't change the Imago day. Like we were all created in that image. Like we all got stuff in our past. And I feel like, especially with um, the gentleman in Louisiana, like that's the first thing they did was bring up a mugshot. Like, okay, yeah, we know he's got this going on. That doesn't mean like he's, you know, can be shot cold-blooded like that like where's the justice in that and then the gentleman in minnesota like i don't know guys like i'm just my heart has been heavy people have tried to engage me in conversation and sometimes i feel like it's almost from a standpoint of privilege and it's like you can't really understand that and trying to tell people me growing up in rural west virginia as a mixed kid and you know, in a rural area, like you're not mixed. Like if you got any black in you, you're black. So you're going to face all the discrimination that any blacks do. And it's just hard to explain to people like what you face on a daily basis and why that's unfair. And sometimes I feel like around here and, you know, Chris mentioned it with the church, like the church that he went to with us before and the church that we still go to, um, there's not a lot of diversity. So it's hard for people to really understand um, where the situation is coming from. Um, and many people from our church have reached out and said, you know what, like, we're not even trying to understand it. We just want to look at it through the lens of Christ and approach it with love, which I think is the right thing to do. But I'm not necessarily sure that the church is willing to take that stand um, for for just for justice and especially in situations like this. So, I mean, I don't know, man, I'm wrestling with it. My heart hurts. My heart's still heavy. Like I still kind of have that sinking feeling in my gut. Um, I don't know. I don't know, fellas. I don't even know where to go with it. So um, one thing that is just troubling for me is the fact that I have to be perfect to remain alive. I mean, when you think about how deliberate the second gentleman was, Mr. Castile, in telling the cop that I have a concealed carry permit. It's legal for me to carry this. I'm reaching for like very deliberate. And if you talk to 
nine out of 10 African-American men, they will tell you when they get pulled over that they actually have these conversations deliberately so that there's no imperfection in the way in which they encounter police officers. But then we see individuals with assault rifles who are not African-American, who are taken into custody after having assault rifles, after having shot people. Why is there a different approach? Why are there imperfections keeping them alive, but us being perfect in the way in which we approach this, causing us to lose our lives? So that's a real question I've been wrestling with and processing because even in my encounters, I, I feel like I have to have that perfect demeanor. Like I'm lifting my hand to put it into my glove compartment and people laugh about it, but it's so serious. Like it could be life or death. I got pulled over in Georgia and Cobb County, which is known as one of the most racist counties in the country. And in being pulled over, uh, you know, I did the same thing and I was I did not run the light like he told me I did, but I had to really consider, is this really worth me getting into it, him with? Like, I felt like $140 was worth my life at that point. So I decided to eat the ticket. Why is it that we have to do that? So that's discouraging. But the encouraging part is when this has happened in the past, there's been silence in the church from white allies. Today, when I looked at my blog roll, I saw at least six platform voices who actually already had blog posts about grieving and weeping with the African-American community. So at that point, I'm like, yes, they get it. And they're using their platform to grieve with us, not only grieve with us, actually process this with us. So I'm discouraged. Yes. But I'm also encouraged by the churches, especially the majority culture church, stepping in, standing beside us, loving on us, weeping with us to make sure that we know that they're in this with us. So, you know, continue prayers to the family, even processing it in my own experience. I'm just like, Lord, you know, only, you know. So, yeah, my heart is heavy, too, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, Jay Rich, um, just a little bit like behind the scenes, before we have a podcast, um, we, we have a text thread that kind of runs throughout the week. And I had written something and you had uh, sent something back funny. And it said, Haha, like letter from a state in jail, just insinuating like you don't want to do the podcast from inside of a jail. but um, that, I mean, that's such a poignant letter, that letter to a Birmingham jail. Do you feel like um, that the evangelical church is is so much different now in how they're handling things that, like, do you think King would have to write another one today? Mm. I, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, he wrote that literally to um, local clergy who were telling him, who they were basically telling him he needs to wait it out. Um, that it doesn't really take all of that. And I mean, you can probably juxtapose that letter right now into 2016. I mean, there are a lot of folks who are allies, but then there are others who are like, let the system work, let the process work. I mean, we're letting the process work and all we're getting is civil, <laughs> civil settlements. I mean, lives are worth money or are lives worth change. And, and that's the question. Like we need, a serious change in the way that we enforce laws in this country because the way law enforcement approaches issues or approaches people that they perceive as dangers has not gone well for a particular community. So he probably would be like, hey, I'm here in Louisiana because injustice is here. Don't ask me why I'm here. He might show up there and there wouldn't be the opportunist show up like some pastors, ministers are, um, <laughs> I actually think that he would be genuinely concerned about the welfare of African-Americans. And he may get pushback from clergy, but he probably sit in that jail and write the same letter. So um, 
a lot of the times we tease my wife too and call her um, a research assistant for the show. But she actually did walk in just now and tell me that they're actually like, like the police are being shot at in Dallas right now as a response to what's going on. I haven't had a chance to check the news or anything. I just thought she was thinking like maybe that's something like here's what's kind of going on in your community even while you guys are recording the podcast. I haven't checked it out, seen any of the news, um, but that's that's well, definitely sad if that's what's going you on. Know, it's funny that you said that, Chris, because my wife and I were talking this evening while she was um, in the kitchen preparing supper, and we were just kind of talking about some of these things and, you know, what it means. And she even brought up the point. She was like, what's going to happen is, is we're going to get to the point where it is like the Watts riots. Um, the response is going to be it's such outrage from the community. Um, and... Uh, Come quickly, Lord, come quickly. That's all I can say because I, you know, and you, know, my wife brought up a good point as well. She said she thinks these type of things have always happened. We just happen to live in the day where there's so much social media and there's, it's such an easy uh, way to record and, and catch all of this stuff that now it's just becoming just so much to the forefront where as before there weren't cell phone videos. So you could kind of hide it and, lie your way through it now it's like right out there for everybody for the world to see so man i just hope it doesn't turn into something that really turns sections of the country on its ear yeah and causes uh, even more violence yeah well my wife just showed me one of the tweets and it said that the weapon of choice at the rally in dallas was an ar-15 and like um like they're showing footage of just multiple cops being gunned down right now so that i mean we're starting to see that even now jay hart and i mean that just adds to the pain wow wow we definitely want to pray for that community and pray for pray for cops and and everybody who who are responders um obviously this isn't an indictment against the police generally uh we just want to make sure that's clear Um, amen amen so want to make sure that we're praying for everybody involved and you know that's what the gospel compels us to do anyway um to make sure that we pray for those even who persecute us and um and that's that's our call as christians so um one of the things that you know really helps especially african the african-american community in processing is being able to to um to have something to listen to um, so generally we end our sessions with what we're reading and what we're listening to. Um, is there anything this week that you've been reading or listening to that, you know, might've either helped you process it or even, you know, help you to be kind of a getaway, um, to, to, to see your, your mind and your intellect? Yeah, I would what? say for me, just like, um, it's not really musical. I have, I've gotten some, um, downloaded some more music this week, but really if I, I mean, if somebody was to ask me, Hey, what one thing should I listen to this week? It's going to be the DA Horton Periscope, which I think now is available on YouTube. I just think it was an amazing treatment. I can't recommend it highly enough, especially um, in terms of what's going on in our culture and what's going on in our community. I think he grounds it in the gospel. He gives the he gives the historical narrative that's so important that kind of lets you see like here's how we got to this place. Um, so I mean that's that's what I'm listening to, and also I'm excited about um, some things my wife showed me about some people who are willing to and like really give their lives to social justice in the cause, but also make sure that they're doing it from a gospel perspective. And so I'll definitely have some of that. Um, I don't have the tweets right in front of me or that blog right in front of me, um, that contact info, but I'll definitely make sure we get it up um, on, we'll tweet it out or something to make sure people can follow that as well. So. I think, um, I don't know, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but two of the songs that I really have listened to quite a bit this week 
have both been Andy, Andy Minio songs. Um, the first was Love off the Uncomfortable album. And the second song was Death Has Died off the, uh, uh, his, his first album, Heroes for Sale. Um, and, you know, Death Has Died just kind of basically talks about, you know, the first verse is about the death of his grandmother. And then the second verse is about, you know, the school shooting. And, and you know, just both of those have really kind of been uplifting to me, like to think that we have a hope. Um, and, you know, with that, we have a hope that these things will pass away. The old will pass away and the new will be, and there will be no more death and violence. And, um, you know, those, those two songs have really weighed heavy on my heart. As far as reading, my man C. Last came through in the clutch, even though he didn't knock on the door. He tried to sneak through on the incognito tip and leave me Lecrae's Unashamed and the Dream Team book. So I'm going to start checking on those because my family is leaving to go to the beach on Sunday and I'm not going until later in the week. So I'll have some time to get started on those. Good stuff. So I'm, uh, man, I've been listening to this song on repeat this week. I first heard it at the T4G conference and it is a hymn. It's called He Will Hold Me Fast. And the YouTube version of it that I listen to is by the Norton Hall Band. And it definitely is something I needed this week because I think having Christ hold all of us um, fast is something that a community that's lamenting needs. So that's been definitely been on in rotation for me. The thing I've been reading has been uh, Jalen Rose's autobiography, which is really good. Um, just into the second chapter of the book, but Jalen is a great storyteller, and I've, I've enjoyed hearing about his early childhood and some of his uncles who've been instrumental in developing who he is. So it's been cool. Um, so that's what I've been reading. That's what I've been listening to this week. All right. That's been episode 11 of the Boxing One podcast. We appreciate you guys for joining us this week. Be sure you keep all the communities in prayer that, you, that we discussed um, tonight and just continue to pray for our nation. Uh, we'd like for you to just subscribe to the podcast. Join us weekly. Um, definitely rate the podcast. Leave us reviews. You can also follow us on Twitter at Boxing One Podcast. We appreciate you guys joining us each week. We're very grateful for your presence and just being able to uh, to chop it up with you all. So until next time, this has been the Boxing One Podcast. We'll see you next up. Go around. Peace out.